0: Hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak while I'm speaking as well, and give you things that I haven't even thought about. We'll be in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to take a minute to get there, so you can find Matthew chapter 11 while um, I talk to you about sort of the average person who follows Jesus before. I actually want to talk to you about before a person follows Jesus. That person, he or she, is living life. You know, maybe even living it well. He may have a job and a family and his health, or she may. Be, she may not be suffering in any significant way. If he even has a generic worldview, that may answer most of his big questions. But if he doesn't have a religious worldview, then he may find himself with questions that have no satisfying answers. And those unanswerable questions may actually be okay with him as long as everything's going okay. Until one of two things happens. Either he is faced with a more compelling truth that doesn't fit with his worldview, in which case he has to wrestle with it until he finds peace, or he may be driven to find better answers when something bad happens and the worldview he has doesn't carry him through the crisis. Does that sound familiar? So basically I'm saying that, we don't tend to shift our worldview without some kind of essential or existential. We don't tend to shift our worldview without some kind of existential crisis. Something to shake the foundations and expose the gaps. That's why arguing with each other doesn't work. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, let's get to our guy. Somewhere along the, the way, our guy. Here's a fair account of the gospel, maybe while he's in the middle of his crisis moment, and it resonates. It does enough of something so that his life has to slow down and he has to start paying attention. Maybe, as he explores the ideas, he finds himself more and more in the company of other people who are also either exploring those same ideas or they are following the way of Jesus, And for reasons he may not even be consciously aware of, somewhere along the way, a line gets crossed. And and as I said, he may not even be aware of the line, May, may not even be aware of the moment, but he just finds himself one day realizing that there is more of him on the believing side of the line than on the doubting side. It is as if he has shifted citizenship, shifted allegiance. We've seen that happen politically a good bit lately, but I'm not talking politics right now. I'm talking spiritual realities. I'm talking about what a person considers to be most real. And here's the thing. Once a person finds himself, herself, on the believing side of that line, even the most faithful of us can come to the end of some days, at the end of some months, or at what we hope one day will be the end of a pandemic. (laughs) And find ourselves impatient with God, or spiritually dry, spiritually weary, plagued by doubt. My sense is, if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you've been there. Or at least I have. I have stood in the doorway of doubt more times than I am. I'm embarrassed by how many times I've stood in the doorway of doubt. I've experienced those horrifying moments when stark thoughts of doubt, Just come at me while I'm driving down the road. Has this happened to you? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you find yourself, well, what if this is not real? What if I am actually not a prophetic truth-teller, but really just a keeper of the myth? Those are terrible moments. And then sometimes I'm actually trying to believe but in the moment, I just can't figure out where God is or what He's doing. Does that sound familiar? You know those moments when God seems distant or impersonal. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where He is in this thing, but I can't figure Him out. My prayers feel empty. And the worst of it is, I can be in a great mood, feeling all the good feels. And then one thing, a, a post or a conversation or a bit of news, knocks the spiritual air right out of me. That's why I love this conversation between John the Baptist and Jesus so much. It's the last time John the Baptist actually has, and it's not even a second secondhand, but they, they communicate. It's the last time. And, and that conversation gives me permission to live the questions while I trust in Jesus because John, well, here's a guy who crossed that line that spiritual line of faith before he was even born. When a pregnant Mary goes to visit a pregnant Elizabeth, John's mom, John leapt in her womb, which means he has known who Jesus was literally his entire existence. John was the first to call Jesus out publicly as the Son of God. And John was there when the voice of God spoke from the heavens saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the John who from a prison floor has the integrity and the transparency. Hear me. He is the one who has the integrity and the transparency to simply ask of Jesus. Are you the one Look at verse 1, Matthew 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, I want you to underline that because that ends up being the key to this entire passage we're looking at. The deeds of the Messiah. When John heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John is in prison because he opposed, on holiness grounds, Herod's choice to marry his brother's wife. We'll tell that whole story next week, but for now, suffice it to say that John was in prison because he was committed to the kingdom of God and the kingdom ideals. But, Prison sucks all the fun out of following. So John needs Jesus to tell him again. Are you the one? Here is John in a crisis moment evaluating what is most true. And the question he asked has to be the best question in the whole Bible. Every person who has ever considered Jesus before crossing that line has asked this question, whether consciously or not. Are you the one, or do I need to keep looking? It's a great discernment question, you know. I mean, you could take that question and kind of lay it on top of whatever your whatever big decision you're dealing with right now. Jesus, are you in this, or do I need to keep looking? It's the whole question. It's the only question. Jesus was completely committed to seeing, oh, excuse me, John, John was completely committed to seeing people believe in the real Messiah, completely committed to seeing people believe in the real Messiah. So we asked, are you it? Some scholars call this doubt, but I call it commitment. Think of it this way. If I'm standing on the deck of a boat, looking down at the ocean, and somebody's told me you have to jump in, and I ask, are you sure this is a good idea? That's doubt. But if I'm already in the ocean, in a shark cage, with a shark coming right at me, and if at that point I ask, are you sure this is a good idea? That's confirmation. That's that's what he's looking for. I think John was in a shark cage, and he just needed a little confirmation right in this moment. Jesus, are you the guy, or do we keep looking? I need a little confirmation, because this is hard. John speaks for all of us when he asks this question. He reminds us that when things get hard, it is okay to touch base with Jesus about what is most true. Because listen, it is hard to make sense of truth when we are stressed out and stretched thin and feeling threatened. We get it that Jesus is good, but this is hard. So when it's hard, what is most true? This season we're in right now, this is hard. For some of us, this may be a standing on the deck of the boat moment when we are genuinely trying to figure out what is true. For others of us, this is an in the water, in the shark cage moment when we've been fighting the good fight, but we could use some confirmation. Am I on the right track Jesus, or do I need to keep looking? When is the last time you dipped deep into John's question for yourself? When is the last time you examined your own faith in Jesus? Asked him to help you have more faith in Jesus? Because right now our perception of truth has been stretched to its limits, distorted by events, by stress, by too much conflicting information, or let's be honest, too much information, period. We need to be reminded, as so many have wisely said, that all truth is God's truth. I read this last week from David Brooks, and I want to quote it because I like his words. He says, he says, Inquiry strengthens faith. I think that's so appropriate for this moment. Inquiry strengthens faith. And, Brooke says, it's narcissistic self-idolatry to think you can create your own truth based on what you feel in a moment. That's good stuff. The Christian world is in need of thinking men and women who not only know what is most true in a world of conspiracy theories, but who know how to dip deep into the question John is asking of Jesus so we can remember what is most true, what is worth the pain. Jesus plays right into this need. He doesn't get angry with John. He, he models the answer perfectly. He responds to John, not with some airy just have faith and believe encouragement, but with evidence. Evidence. Look at verse 4. Matthew 11, 4, Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Remember that the, the disciples, John has sent his disciples to be with Jesus, to, to, to ask Jesus the question or use a one. And so Jesus says to his disciples, you go back and report to John what you hear and see. And whenever I read this, I want to read it with, with Jesus with a big, huge smile on his face. He's not angry. This is, this is so good. This is like, listen, you go tell John. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is being proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. This version says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. But I like the ones that say, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's so good. This is the New Testament speaking to the Old Testament. There is John, the last of the Old Testament wilderness prophets, and so Jesus Pulls from four passages in Isaiah to confirm John's hope. Isaiah tells us, we read it earlier, while we are off looking for some kind of military king or some big and powerful being to come and stomp out all the monsters we don't like, the Messiah will come like a servant. No form or majesty, Isaiah says, no beauty from a place we're not expecting, from a town nobody Nobody's even hardly heard about. Certainly, don't think the Messiah is going to come from there. And now here's Jesus standing in the middle of a marketplace healing people and talking to people and loving people. He lifts up average people and shares his power with them. He eats with sinners, and he doesn't care about the rules the way most good Jews in his day cared. He says things like, whoever wants to make something of himself will end up on the short end of that stick, but whoever is willing to give up his own life for the sake of the kingdom of God will end up finding real life. He says that at the end of the day, the right answer is not always the answer, but right action will get you there. He says it isn't about being right, it's about being right. Do you hear the difference? About having the kind of heart that's big enough for the ones the world won't notice. It's turning out the, the the uh, turning out where the poor people are and where the hungry people are and where the suffering people are so that we can be there at the point of their need. turns out the good news isn't just something we hear. And and, and hear me, you guys know. I mean, my, my motto is what you believe matters. But it isn't just something we hear. It is completed as we practice it. It is something we practice, even when it means carrying the potential for offense. This is a choice to be boldly vulnerable. Christopher has coined a phrase that I, well, I, I really like it. He talks about fan culture. Fan. What was your other word? Fan. Fan syndrome. You need to write this down. Fan is an acronym man stands for false action narrative. It's that thing, which has become something of a trend lately, where our critiques and comments begin to feel to us like action, when actually they're not. It's just us lobby- lobbying bombs, usually from the comfort of our own couches, which is not to say we ought not have opinions or convictions, of course we should, but that in the kingdom of God, our convictions are not complete until they are translated through our actions. Let me say that again so you can write it down. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, our convictions are not complete until they are translated into actions. This is what Jesus is telling us here. If you want to see the kingdom of God advance in this brittle and angry world, if you want to show up as the wise one in a world of conspiracy madness, then this, Jesus says, is how it's done. The lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised, the lepers get healed. And blessed is the one who is not offended. Jesus says, who would would be offended by a servant heart? As it turns out, pretty much everybody. (laughs) We get offended. (laughs) We get offended by everything. We get offended by things we don't understand. We get offended by things that, that threaten us. We get offended by people who claim authority to practice the law of love They don't do it exactly the way we want it done. We get offended by passion when we don't have it. We don't trust mercy because we're afraid the bad people will get away with too much. We don't trust absolute truth because we're afraid it won't include us. And if any of that offends you, then let Jesus in on your wrestling. Even if it feels uncomfortable. So you can learn from Him what it means to live this without being offended. Because that's what he's saying here. He's not just saying, I hope y'all aren't offended, but he's saying, I'm not offended either. Trust a good God with those offenses and defenses and fears and prejudices and even your quiet doubts that keep you from being able to see Jesus as he is. Discern your discomfort. Admit to him the parts you struggle to understand. That's a risky thing, friends, but that is healthy. let Jesus into that mixture of doubt and faith. Are you the one? Where am I missing it? Do I need to keep looking? Trust like crazy that he will lead you through that. Look at verse 7. John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John and everything he says about John's pure compliment. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? No, seriously, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in kings' palaces. So, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more. Than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And then this next line is kind of tricky, but what he's really saying to us is that John walked on a faith that did not yet include the cross. Says, Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, because we walk in a faith that includes the cross and the empty tomb. So Jesus turns to the crowd and he brings it home. He asks the same question three times. We remember, good Bible students, notice repetition. It means he wants to emphasize a point. He's talking about this crowd of people who went looking. For John the Baptist, when he was preaching in the wilderness, and he says, what did you come out to see? Were you looking for a spectacle to gawk at? Or were you hoping to align yourself with someone royal or famous? Or were you really interested in hearing a word from the Lord? Jesus wants people to wrestle with their motives while he validates John's way of doing it. His camel hair and locust breath way. (laughs) whole life given to being a signpost for the Messiah. Jesus honors John, in fact, by calling him a type of, of Elijah. Look at verse 14. He says, and if you're willing to accept it, he's the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. John is Elijah, the great Desert prophet who also got in trouble for co- confronting an immoral king, Elijah walked right into King Ahab's office and said, "Listen, you are a spiritual desert, and you are sucking the life out of God's people in Israel. So, for the next five few years, as kind of spiritual aid for what you're doing, there will be no rain in this country. That drought he called on went for three and a half years." Until finally, God called a showdown between Elijah and 450 false prophets of Baal. We know the end of that story. Elijah wins. He wins the contest, but he gains another enemy. Jezebel, who is all wrapped up in Ahab's web, sends a note. Dear Elijah, may the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow you are not dead, just like the ones you killed. And that shakes Elisha. I mean, here's a man who has walked into a king's office, who has proclaimed the word of the Lord, called down a, a drought, and that word sends him shaking. He has the same moment John had in prison, having the spiritual air knocked right out of him. So he ran, he fled for his life, ran out into the desert, sat under a tree, and prayed he would die. And you kind of expect God to be angry, but God's response is so gentle, so much like Jesus with John. He says, first of all, you need to eat something and sleep. (laughs) You're not thinking well. (laughs) And then on the other side of his his, uh, desert and mountaintop experience, he says, there are 7,000 people waiting. 7,000 faithful partners. And on the other side of John's imprisonment, yes, there would be a death, but John's witness would produce hundreds of followers in his lifetime. Thousands of followers at the resurrection and eventually billions of followers. John would live live to see it himself But he would boldly point people to the one who is to come, to Jesus, to our Messiah. What an honor for John to be a prophet in the tradition of Elijah, who actually got to see the Messiah. He actually got to lay eyes on him and hands on him, who by asking his question, listen to this, who by asking the question, are you the one, actually placed his followers in the presence of Jesus where they could hear the whole truth. This Jesus is our Messiah. Look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. It's one of those hotly contested verses in the Bible because of this one word that you can read one of two ways. And I'm not going to go into all of that right now, but I really, really, really want to. But I want you to hear this. I want you to hear Jesus on behalf of John, who sits in prison. John, who sits in prison and who knows firsthand that the kingdom of God, he is firsthand proof. The kingdom of God suffers violence. The violence of people who don't get who Jesus really is. The kingdom suffers the violence of laziness, the violence of unbelief, the violence of hard hearts and broken hearts. The kingdom suffers the violence of the enemy of God. My goodness, we have seen the kingdom of God suffering violence while people raid it for their own ends. I'm going to tell you at the other end of this pandemic, the, the, the greatest challenge for followers of Jesus, will be the restoration of the body of Christ with integrity. It has suffered violence. The Church of Jesus Christ has suffered such violence. And these are earnest prayers. But hear the hope. The kingdom, never quits coming. It never gives up. It never gives in. Never lets go. Never loses sight of the work. And if John wants to understand how the kingdom of God forcefully advances, tell him this, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the possessed are set free, and the good news is preached to the poor. Look at verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children, sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, He's a glutton and a, put- and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But, and you need to underline this, underscore it, asterisk it, stick something on it. Wisdom is proved right by her goodness. This is a funny little segment right here. Jesus is saying, some people just can't be satisfied. Come on, I need an amen. They will find a way to complain about They're like children who can't get along on the playground. One group says, let's play wedding. But the angry kid says, I don't want to play wedding. So the other children say, fine, and let's play funeral. And they pretend to mourn. And that one kid says, I don't want to play that game either. When John came eating locusts and preaching repentance, they said, that's just weird. When Jesus came showing up at parties, preaching grace, they called him a pagan. Jesus said, that spirit? that critical spirit that keeps you at arm's length from the truth and worse, that keeps you at arm's length from people in need, that spirit that critiques the methods and madness of the kingdom of God, that spirit will keep you from seeing God when he shows it. But, Jesus says, wisdom will be known by brilliant work. Brilliant. It's Jesus saying, listen, even on the believing side of the line, there will be days when you feel like you're in a shark cage and the animal is coming right at you. Teeth bared, and you will wonder if this will hold, if this thing I'm in, will it hold? When that happens, Jesus says, don't worry about behavior. Pay no attention to the critics. You, go serve someone. Go back down the mountain and find a few partners for the work. And you put your eyes on Jesus. Because wisdom is not accomplished by getting everyone to agree. Nope. Wisdom is known by its But by your deeds. To so put your eyes on Jesus, the one who is to come, and trust how he does it. You tell John the blind see, the lame walk. People are hearing good news about the kingdom of God for a change. Is downright scandalous, but may God bless the one who is not offended by that. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.